oh my! Look at that fish! podcast uh today a little bit of a special episode we have a guest on josh couldn't be here um his sister is in town from uh california way and uh you know he's just having to spend some time with her and uh you know so i figured i'd just go solo on this one uh so our guest on the line is uh a world record holder which is new for the smally talk podcast crew uh world record holder uh an all-around champion, I guess. Spencer McCormick. <laughs> hello, hello. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for that uh, intro. You know, all that, it's, it's going right to my head. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's That's like, what I'm trying to do very it. long. I know. I'm trying well, to ruin you. You're, yeah, you're setting me up. This is a setup. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I came across Spencer's name. Uh, I'll just kind of tell you how I, how, how I came about, uh, you know, finding out who you were and kind of what you were about. So uh, I was looking up um, world records for smallmouth bass. Of course, everybody knows about the Hayes record at Dale Hollow, which is, you know, like 11 pounds, four ounces or something caught way back when. But uh, I was looking at something and I saw that uh, it was an older article published about the world record smallmouth. And then I noticed that, you know, of course, there are several classes of world records. There are line categories and fly tippet categories and you know and then of course the all tackle record is mr hayes you know 1950 whatever uh bass from dale hollow so i was looking at the the world record fly tippet uh eight pound fly tippet record and i i thought it was very attainable so i thought the article that i saw uh like i said it was older it showed a, a bass that was caught in japan and it was like five pounds three ounces on eight pound tippet and I thought, I have broken that record on several occasions, and I just didn't take a scale with me, and I probably was using, like, you know, a little heavier test tippet, um, but I thought it was very attainable. I thought, how cool is that? I'm gonna, I could break a world record. Uh, and then I did one more Google search and quickly saw that that eight-pound tippet record is way out of my, way out of my category, uh, way out of my capabilities, uh, at least locally and, uh, and and that's when I came across your name. So um, why don't you go ahead and just before we get into the story of kind of 2020, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, where you're from, uh, you know, your day gig, if you have one, and just kind of a little bit about yourself. All right. Um, thank you. Um, so um, I live up north. I live way up in the lower peninsula in Harbor Springs. And... Um, <clears throat> I've been up here right now for uh, almost 10 years, but um, I, I grew up in northern Michigan, or at least um, in my teenage years, okay. so um, I, moved, I moved around a little bit, but I ended up going to Cadillac. That's where I went to high school, so um, <clears throat> I always, uh, I, my identity formed as a northern Michigan person, so um, <clears throat> yeah, so and after high school, my uh, my parents moved away, actually. They moved to Ohio. And, I, you know, I went to college and I went I went elsewhere for a while and I kind of took the long way around as far as college goes. And, you know, um, you know, took the uh, the six or seven year, uh, this, you know, uh, uh, route. You know, I, I took a, a couple years of off. A lot go to school for yeah. six years. They're called yeah. doctors. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I moved out west for a couple years because, you know, <clears throat> I didn't really know what I what I wanted to do. So I moved out west. I lived in, in the Lake Tahoe area for a couple years and um and then when I, uh, you know, figured out that I needed to get back in school, I, you know, I went back to school and finished that up. And when I was done, I, I wanted to get back home. I wanted to get back up to northern Michigan because it's just who I am. And um, it's always just been in, you know, in my heart, you know. And sure. um, so and um, I guess one other part of the story is that um, growing up, my 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 extended family has always had a place on a lake up here in, in northern Michigan. And so when I finished college, I, I moved back up to this lake and I just uh, and I lived there for for several years, actually. And um, but while being there is when I when I sort of um, took to 
the uh, the baths on Fly. Okay. Because um, I was really living amongst them, you know. Uh, I could just, you know, on the lake there, I, I could see them in the shallows. So, and I, and I, and I was, um, uh, you know, fly fishing was something that I had, you know, um, really uh, started to enjoy more in, in my 20s. So, you know, obviously there's, there's trout fishing around uh, in Northern Michigan. So that was like an obvious thing to do, but, um, you know, seeing these, these bass in the shallows, um, you know, and this is outside the spawn too. And, um, you know, there's just, as a fisherman, you know, you want to catch them, right? You know, you see a fish and you, and you want to catch it. So that's really, uh, when I started to chase, you know, smallmouth, uh, with a fly rod. And that would have been about 2011, you know? And, um, and I think that, you know, living amongst them really, you know, being by the water every day for, for years is, is really, uh, what helps you get, you know, uh, with, you know, helps you get familiar with that water, of course. So that was, you know, that's how it really, uh, began. And, and since I moved away, um, I've still, you know, fished those same waters. I fish all over the place really. So, um, and you live you so live up in the you still you still live in the Harbor Springs area now, right? So like, yeah, I I live yeah. in Harbor Springs now. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. very cool. And then, like you said, there are trout, steelhead. You know that that it's. I mean, obviously Michigan is just like a huge fishing culture, anyways. But um, you know those other opportunities are definitely up there. I mean, is that something that you still do? You know, small. Oh yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty, it's kind of a cliche at this point, but, uh, you know, Michigan is, if, if it's known, if it has anything, it has, uh, diversity, really. So, you know, yeah. where I live, there's all kinds of water, you know, um, except for maybe like a bass river, you know, like, like, I, I don't actually have a bass river near me until you get to like, uh, like a tr- like a true, like a bass stream, like, like maybe you fish or like a lot of other guys fish. Like, I don't, that doesn't, you know, really, um, that's not on my doorstep. I have to go, I have to go at least 45 minutes to get to one, which might not sound like a, a long time <laughs> to a lot of people, but, but you're driving past a lot. But of I live, yeah, I, I li- yeah, I, I pretty much live on, on the, on the shore of Lake Michigan and, but between, you know, uh, Lake Michigan and a, and a tiny lake. So, and then there's everything else in between within like a 20 mile radius. So, um, so I don't fish, uh, you know, uh, like the, like what a lot of people fish are those bass streams, you know, in our streams, we have trout. So, um, but getting back to your question, uh, yeah, it's, I, I fished, you know, as you know, I'm just, I'm a fisherman like anyone else. And so I, you know, at least at some point I've, I've pursued, you know, all the salmonids really locally and then, you know, all the water, you know, a lot of the warm water, uh, options as well. Um, yeah, it's so, very interesting that you don't have any bass like notable bass rivers like up by you i mean that's kind of like in our area like in the in our like lower midwest you know that's generally how people associate smallmouth bass you know that it's a river that it's a riverine fish um you know of course you know we do have some reservoirs here and and natural lakes that hold smallmouth but generally speaking if you're a smallmouth fisherman around here you're fishing uh, primarily rivers. So it's very interesting that, uh, you know, coming from it, coming at it from a completely different perspective, you know, uh, it, it's, it's very interesting. So, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You, you know, that's, you're hitting it right on the head there. Um, you know, if you say you're a bass fisherman up here, no one, you're not, we're not talking about rivers. We're talking about lakes. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're exactly right about that. Um, no, you guys have like the Indian River. That's not too far from you, right? Like, uh, yeah, that's yep. That's that's not far at all. So that's um, you know part of the Inland Waterway, which you know has um, you know Pickerel Lake, Crooked Lake, Burt, Mullet. Um, so it's a long waterway, and yeah, the Indian River's right in the middle. It, it connects Burt to Mullet. Yeah, and then I, I, like we fished, I fished the Muskegon several times, uh, mm-hmm. which is probably. From where you're at, that's a couple hours south of you, I would imagine. Yeah, it's like three hours south, actually. Oh wow. Yeah. That's well, it depends. On, I guess. I guess it depends on where you go in the watershed. I guess if you're in the, in the, the headwaters, it might only be a couple hours. But down near like uh, Nuevo or something like that, that's um, it. Really gets out to like three hours. Huh. Yeah. So, so. That's, a, that's a bit far, especially like you said when you're driving past 
uh, trophy smallmouth water to get three hours away to a river. You know, that's, that's just a bit of an unreasonable trip at that point. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's, it doesn't really, um, uh, yeah, that wouldn't make sense. But there's, um, there's other, there are other uh, smallmouth uh, rivers like on the, you know, the east side of the state. Actually, you know, if I, and I've, and I've actually just, just recently, I've been more, you know. Uh, curious about fishing for smallmouth in a river. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, very, I, it's very different. You know, I mean, it, it is. Yeah, but, uh, there is one. There is one river that I do fish usually like once a year, but on my boat, it's not the kind of. It's still. It's not a stream. It's. It's a more of a, a deeper, bigger river that I, that's right at the mouth of a great lake. So, um, and I I usually get in at least once a year. So, but that's again, it's not like what you know what you're talking about necessarily. Yeah, and I and I don't want to put you on the spot too. Like as we move through this, I don't want to like uh, I'm not gonna I'm not here to uh, you know all Burn all twenty eight of our, yeah exactly all twenty eight of our listeners should stop listening now if they think they're gonna get a spot out of this guy because I'm not gonna ask and I wouldn't expect you to give it. But uh, generally speaking, can we just say that uh, Upper Lake Michigan is kind of like your home home water, or are you fishing like smaller? smaller lakes uh, well i'll i i mostly i would say most of my time is on inland lakes okay so right. I, I do get out on on lake michigan and lake huron um a little bit every year but um yeah. uh it's mostly we'll inland no lakes <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right say no more yeah all right great that's all and, and these are like natural like natural lakes reservoirs yes. all that kind of stuff so no uh, well there's no reservoirs it's all it's all natural I just, okay yeah. all right mm-hmm. good deal all, so all glacial. in the northern michigan area like um just so you can kind of give us like a, a ballpark range of like because you guys have a 365 day fishing season now right uh technically yeah <laughs> and, but when do you when do you sort of get out of like uh open water i guess generally uh, so- like mid-April is about as early as I've ever been on the water. Wow. On a lake, yeah. So mid-April to like early December, mid-December time frame? Yeah, basically. I mean, well, it, they're even, you know, even if the water is open, uh, like even now or mid-December, um, the fish are generally, you know, have moved to their wintering holes. So it's um, difficult to reach them with a fly rod at this point so and are you a hundred percent fly guy then or do you do any uh you know for the longest time i was a hundred percent flies but um it it was this past september i had uh just after the you know the um all the fishing i've been doing this year um uh i was getting a lot of soreness in my arms you know in my my casting arm and uh, but i really wanted to be on the water still so i just needed to um you know uh, not cast a fly as much. So I just, sure. I, I bought a, I bought a bait caster and it's the first non fly fishing rod I've ever owned. <laughs> and like I started fishing. It. I can only imagine yeah, the shame that you're, you're probably like looking around, making sure nobody's watching you, like pull that thing out of your rod locker. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, yeah. I was a purist for a long time, but I, you know, I don't feel that way. Right. You know, I don't feel that way anymore. I, I, I enjoy casting, you know, a bait caster. I'm, I think I'll, I think I'm going to buy a spinning rod next year. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I know. Right. But, uh, I think they're, they're different. Um, the one thing I will say, you know, I, I fished the bait caster for a little while. And then, um, when I was going like, all right, I'm ready just to, to, uh, to, you know, in this last part of fall when I'm still trying to pick up, you know, a record or something like that, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring my, I'm going to take my fly rod and, um, uh, but um, where was I going with that? Uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> oh yeah, what, what I meant was, oh yeah, I remember now. Okay, so with the with the fly rod, what I will say is that um, you know what I noticed going back to the fly rod real quick was um, uh, that that di- kind of a direct connection uh, with that fish. You know, when you make when you pull on a on a strip set uh, on a you know with a fly rod and that line's mega tight, you know, and there's for that second, there's no, you know, rod necessarily in play, depending on how you make that strip set. But you don't get that with conventional gear. You know, you don't get uh, that, you know, the sensitivity, that uh, that connection really with the fish. So, um, you know, they, they have different things to offer, but that's one of the reasons that I appreciate fly fishing, you know. Yeah, oh, definitely. You can feel them pull back. I mean, 100%. It's like, a, you know, it's a tug of war game for sure. Yeah. Way different, mm-hmm. but... Um, and, and I guess 
uh, that's kind of a natural segue, I guess, into uh, into this year. But um, specifically, before before we get into this year, like, because if you're fishing like bigger bodies of water, lakes, um, you know, generally speaking, are you fishing like how are you how are you getting the fly down? I mean, are you using like sinking line? intermediate mm-hmm. and i know that some of your bigger fish were caught on top water so i know the answer to that question yeah. but um what what kind of setups are you running uh so for a long time well i uh i fished um uh, primarily intermediate lines so um you know i a one and a half to two, to two second um sink rate mm-hmm. and i would use um you know and, and i would i would use that line for you know um for a couple of different uh, uses really so uh, to fish the bottom with a you know a heavier um, uh, fly like a goby or a crayfish type fly um, or I would use it you know with a clouser or with an unweighted uh, bait fish pattern um, I would fish you know an intermediate line at, at multiple depths um, and then I also have spent a fair amount of time using you know full sinking lines like six inches per second Sure. and that sort of thing and and I've spent uh, you know a little bit of a little bit of time you know um trying to catch them real deep like 20 feet 25 feet something like that and I've had a little bit of success but it's I, I yeah I don't really enjoy it that much you know to no, me at that point no. I, to me at that point I'd rather just you know pick up that bait caster I guess you know oh, honestly you get to spin you know, yeah get, get yeah, 20 feet no yeah, problem yeah one of those things so uh I would, the um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. I mean, it's no, it's no fun. Plus, yeah. if you want to talk about if you've got arm problems cropping up, you know, you start, yeah. you start tossing that, uh, sinking line around all day. I mean, that's yeah. going to be, it's going to be brutal. So what do you do full time? I mean, do you have like a full time job? Do you, are you a fishing guide? Like, what do you, what do you do? Yeah, I, I don't guide, uh, currently there was a time when I, when I was guiding a little bit, but I don't guide anymore. Um, I have a full-time job. I'm actually a fish and wildlife researcher, uh, for a tribal government up here. So science, uh, you know, fisheries and wildlife science is my full-time job. Gotcha. All right. That's awesome. You know, very, well, very, uh, very cool. Um, all right. So let's get into it, man. Uh, so, uh, give us a brief introduction to the International Game Fish Association and kind of the different categories of records um and then we can we can get into your into your year here Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm you know i've only just become really uh you know um involved with the igfa this year so but they are you know kind of they're like the international you know this organization that's uh you know seen as the authority in uh record fish uh so um and they have classes for both conventional tackle as well as fly tackle uh, male and female and then also um <clears throat> a couple classes for you know very young people you know um some young kids so um and within fly fishing uh there are six or seven different tippet classes and that'll be like two pound four pound six pound eight twelve sixteen and twenty um Typically, uh, or, or rather, you know, typically, I guess. <laughs> typically, well, you know, so w- within those classes, you know, a fish has to weigh at least half as much as that tippet class. So, you know, if it's, um, eight pound tippet, the fish has to weigh at least four pounds to count as a record. If it's 20 pound tippet, a fish has to weigh at least 10 pounds to qualify for that record. So you can, you can imagine, you know, a, um, uh, someone trying to get a 20 pound tippet class for, for fly fishing, um, it's probably not going to happen, you know, and even if 16 pound is obviously a a big stretch, you know, to catch an eight pound fish, you know, like it's possible. Yeah, (laughs) it's possible, but it's really, you know, the the chances are very slim. So, um, so yeah, the IGFA, you know, people look to this organization as, as, an authority for, for record fish. So it's like you a can go on rocket or a Pope and young for, for yeah. white tails. It's kind of the same type of, but they have categories for everything, right? I mean, every yeah. fish out there. Yep. Yeah. Saltwater fish and freshwater. Um, not every species, uh, that, uh, known to man is on there, but, um, uh, the game fish. So, yeah. 
Um, and they've been a really cool. Um, I, I really like the IGFA um, uh, in regards because uh, to their, you know, uh, the way they do things because uh, they're really about conservation. They're, they're really into that. So I, I appreciate that. You know, they're not just um, it's not just about um, the biggest fish. You know, they they give back to the, you know, the resource. Sure. That's awesome. And yeah. uh, I guess uh, what got you interested in breaking a world record? Because this is obviously an intentional pursuit. So what got you going on it? So um, the first time I looked into it was back in 2017. Um, I caught a fish that was like, I weighed it on the boat. It was 613, 614, something like that. And at that point I was like, you know, where does this stand? Like where, you know, how does this measure up to? Yeah. Because you probably uh, looked at, you know, they can't get much bigger than this. Yeah. Like how, (laughs) you know, uh, like what, you know, where does this stand? I don't like, and so I had, after that, I had, um, you know, gone on Google, obviously, you know, and uh, Googled world record fish. And I probably, I think I came across probably the same uh, like field and stream article you did, which has like the top, it has, you know, 10 world record smallmouth. And uh, there's a couple of them on there for fly tackle. And um, there's one on there for, it's it's that 612 from Minnesota. So, I knew I had beaten it by an ounce or two. So I called the IGFA and I, and I said, Hey, I, you know, I caught this fish the other day. I even, I even got it on, on camera. I mean, I have got the whole thing on, on video. Um, and, uh, so, you know, this is the weight, you know, where does that stand? Uh, is this a record or what? And, uh, the guy tells me, yeah, that, that, that would be a record fish. Um, you know, where did you weigh it? And I said, well, right there on the boat. And he says, well, you know, the the first thing you have to do is weigh your fish from a stabilized platform. So you have to go to shore or be at a dock or something, you know, so that when you're weighing the fish, the scale will give you, you know, an accurate, um, you know, uh, reading there. So um, that would have been, you know, so at that point it was not going to count obviously, so but I had been first question. <laughs> yeah. Very first question. Yeah. Cause they're very strict rules. Right. So what, what and, yeah. uh, so go ahead. So, I was like, you know what? That's okay. I will catch another. That was just my my train of thought, obviously, or that's honestly is what I mean. And um, so, but in my mind, for the next couple of years, I was thinking the record was still six twelve. Um, when uh, when come to find out this like uh, the last winter, I was just I I finally found the IGFA uh database that shows all their records uh. And the current record for, or the the previous record for eight pound tippet was five nine from Japan, and I was like, you know, that's that's I had the same reaction you did, like, wow, like that's uh that's really breakable actually. Sure. Um. So I just you know uh fixed my live well and uh you know got just got the things you know I looked through all the rules you know I to make sure that I was gonna do everything properly, and um and when the time came that. I, I knew that I could, or felt pretty confident that I could catch a fish, you know, beyond five, nine. Um, you know, I just, uh, just went out and did it. So, um, but that one, <laughs> I was not aware that, uh, uh, at the time, uh, of the inconsistencies between, uh, the stated breaking strength of, you know, line fishing line that you buy and the actual breaking strength. I was not aware of that. Um, so, um, that, that fish was rejected. And, um, and then how did they get a hold of your, yeah. how did they get a hold of your uh, tippet then? Did you have to send it you, in? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You send it in with the application when you, when you, uh, you, you take your tippet off and, and don't detach it from the fly, just, you know, cut it near the top and, um, the whole thing, and then just roll it up and, and send it with your application. And then they will, uh, they'll test the tippet, which has to be at least, uh, 15 inches long. Uh, okay. For any for future reference for anybody. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's inches long has to yeah. have the actual breaking strength of eight pounds or or, yeah. or twenty or whatever you're yeah. trying to set. Uh, has to be weighed from a stable, uh, you know, from the ground or from a dock or not, you know, yeah. not on a boat. And then how do they do they certify your scale as well? Yep, exactly. That's that's one more piece is it has to be a certified scale. What you can do afterward if if you um document it with that scale you can send it in and they will certify that scale afterward which is what they did with that first fish that was rejected they certified the scale afterward 
And the last thing you need is the last thing you you want is uh, you know a photo of you with a fish. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's not hard you know, to do. I mean, you know, basically, <laughs> I think everybody, you know, yeah, you got right. a fish that big, you're gonna get a picture with it. But right. uh, yeah, you know, the way great. the way you should really look at it is, you know, there's all these like these there's like these four or five things you need. But what you need to do is is look at it like you're building a case uh, for this world record. So you you know as if you were gonna like go into a court and argue for this. So you need to you know what's the best way to argue a point is to have you know, video of everything, you know, like have witnesses, have video, have all these things so you can present this case to them and then they will, you know, go through the application and, you know, deem it credible or not. Yeah. So. Well, I mean that, yeah, I mean that, that makes perfect sense to me. So, um, so this year, so that, that was, you know, your, this whole journey kind of started back in 2017 and obviously you're just fishing the whole time. And I'm assuming with your job, you have quite a bit of leeway to, to go out there and quote research and do, you know, <laughs> fishing quite a bit. So, uh, so you're fishing from 2017 and then the first fish that you caught, I read in the article that it was in May of 2020. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And I'm, I'm assuming was that fish on the bed or was it out feeding? Oh no, 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 no. I don't, okay. it, it, um, so, um, that when the time period that I've been able to, um, uh, catch really big smallmouth is before they spawn it's pre-spawn so it's going to be before surface water temperatures uh hit 60 degrees so yeah. once they hit 60 it it just it's different out there then then you then the fish are spawning and it just feels different out there then like recreation boaters still you know start coming out it just feels different i don't like i don't really want to be out there anymore but okay. before that before that time just before that is a you know the best time uh to catch a really big smallmouth. Yeah, um, so pre so, pre spawn. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm assuming you're streamer fishing, um, you know, in May. Um, what what pattern did you catch that first one on? So that is on a fly that I've been uh, tying for uh, five, six, maybe seven years now, and it's not. It's it's from. It's based off a fly from uh, the guys in Utah, fly fish food. They have a, a fly called a low-fat minnow. And I don't tie it exactly like that anymore. And I bet these guys are they're probably sick of me referencing them because the flies that, uh, that I tie don't look like theirs anymore. So, um, yeah, um, but anyways. I can't imagine yeah. that they're upset that a uh, multiple-time world record holder is saying, oh, I tied the same fly that they use and yeah. caught a world record. I'm sure that they're probably not sick of that. So yeah. don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's a low, it's called a low fat minnow and, um, it's just a little, uh, bait fish pattern. It's, you know, like three to four inches long. It's, you know, one hook. Um, it's a marabou base and it has, uh, like dubbing on the front of it, which will give you, you know, that, that structure for the head. And, uh, it just looks like a, uh, like a perch maybe, or, um, or a rock bass. Um, so at that time period, the pre-spawn time period, the fish are, are really aggressive. Um, so, uh, uh, it, they just, they're really aggressive, man. It's a great time and, and, and they just eat it. So, yeah. Um, you know, and how about how deep was this first one that you caught? So, uh, the fish was probably like, maybe seven or eight feet deep. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Sitting over that kind of depth, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And then it was that to that point, I guess I, I don't even know how heavy that one was. That didn't say in the, in the article, what, what that, did it weigh? That was five thirteen. Five thirteen. Okay. Yeah. Was that to that point? Obviously it wasn't your best cause you caught one that was six thirteen. uh, you know, a few mm-hmm. years before that. So, so that so it got rejected. About how long did it take for it to get rejected from the I, IGFA people? That only took like a week or something for them to reject. Oh, that's me. not bad. <laughs> so you knew at least yeah. you weren't thinking like, oh, it's over. You know, I did it <laughs> like for yeah. months or something like that. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because people on the internet pretty much they t- pretty much told me right away like, hey, you know, uh, like other people knew about this potential problem, but I didn't about the whole the breaking strength. Uh, but other people on the internet were telling me like right away and I was like, Oh, Hmm. I don't you know. And then I started to do my, and then I started to do my own investigations about, you know, Maxima fishing line 
uh, on you know on the internet and it it seemed like most of the time it broke at a higher breaking strength so i was before they told me i was um you know expecting it to be rejected actually so okay well i guess that kind of leads us into our next question so what uh what brand do you go with now if you want a, a kind of a surefire uh breaking strength as labeled type fishing line so i use uh platypus pretest which is an Australian fishing line. It's not it's not fly fishing tippet. It doesn't come on like a little tippet ring, at least or tippet spool like a you know, at least I haven't seen something like that. But it just comes on a big um fishing line spool and it's called pretest because they test all the spools before they send them out there. So you have a really good um chance of a uh, you know, of that line holding true. And they also platypus uh, they have the the best record for um for for world record lines, actually. And IGFA puts out a publication every year. Um, and in that publication, they have um, the leading lines for, for, for world records. And platypus is always like way out ahead. So that's wow. the one to go with. Yeah. There you but go. I will say, I, w- I will say uh, Rio um, Fluoroflex bl- or PowerFlex or one of them uh, is done really well. Uh, in the um, in test as well. I don't know if you saw in in Fly Fisherman did a article about this and um, and Rio did well in that one too. Just as an FYI, most it seems like most brands, uh, uh, you know, there's just a good chance that it doesn't match up. So yeah, and I mean, if this is what you're going out to do, like you've set, you obviously had this in your mind. You set out to accomplish this goal. Why take the chance of having this happen again right so yeah well that's you know honestly that's i didn't buy the um i didn't know which line to buy after that actually it was it actually took me a little while to figure that out um well i mean i it's yeah. not your everyday inquiry you know it's not, it's not yeah something you'd read in you know, you know in fisherman magazine or something generally. right like like the igfa puts it in their annual publication but i was not I had not received it at that point, so yeah, <laughs> so I didn't, <laughs> so I didn't know for quite a while actually. And then when I did, when I caught that the the first record that did um, that was approved, that wasn't on platypus pretest. I was just using Maxima six pound instead. You know, I used a line under. So <laughs> well, do, isn't aren't yeah. there like don't you have to be so close to eight pounds for it to count? Like if you yeah, it has to be a certain range. Right. Okay. It could it could be too it could be too light. It could be it could break too easily. Um but maxima but I just felt like well if the eight pound because the eight pound uh broke at closer to ten pounds. And ah. so I so I figured the six pound is not gonna and and within the eight pound tippet class you can actually go up to eight point eight one pounds of breaking straight because it's based off the metric system. It's based off four kilograms. So um I figured that the six pound maxima was going to not break at more than 8.8 and probably more than six pounds. So I just, you know, at that point, that was my only option. Uh, so, and actually I wasn't actually intending to get a record at that point. I was just fishing with it just because um, that's what I needed to do. You know, hmm. uh, when I, when I caught that, when I finally did catch the, the fish that qualified for my first record, I was not uh, expecting to actually. Hmm. Yeah, in I mean, the springtime, I was going to springtime. Yeah, you go went from May here, May of 2020, uh-huh. which everybody kind of understands. Well, maybe not everybody, but you know, if you're if you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, you understand that the pre-spawn is generally speaking one of the better opportunities in the year to catch big fish. Uh, they're feeding oh, yeah. pretty uh, aggressively, you know, before they move into a spawning um, position. So. Uh, so jump forward here from May, which would have been pre-spawn in northern Michigan, uh, all the way to August, which is pretty much dog days, you know, full summer pattern. Uh, and you that's when you actually broke the record, right? Yeah. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't expecting to. And um, and I will say that uh, since uh, 2017, um I have not actually fished past the pre-spawn for bass. <laughs> um, really? Yeah, because um, that that was when my son was born. So anyone who's got kids, you know. Oh yeah. You no, know, yeah. So like, 
I would fish, you know, I just stopped fishing after pre-spawn and then I'd start, I'd, I'd do some trout fishing later on, but I was done fishing for bass after that. So I'd fish from like middle of April to like, you know, almost the end of May or, or actually I'd fish into June because then you'd go into like pre-spawn Great Lake stuff. But, um, but I wouldn't fish past pre-spawn for at least a few years now. And then, uh, this year I just kept fishing cause I really, um, I don't know. I just, I wanted to, I was inspired to or something. I just really wanted to. And, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting to catch a, you know, uh, a fish in August, but, um, I think that it, it made sense because, you know, uh, those are the dog. Well, that time of year, the water is the warmest. So the fish are hungry, you know, they need to eat. Um, so, and I think that on a lake in particular where, you know, maybe no one else fly fishes, when you know a fish sees a fly for the you know for the first time you know sure. they're more gullible a little so, more susceptible to fall yeah. into so yeah because i mean i definitely like in a riverine situation you know a lot of especially in michigan you have a lot of fly fishermen out you know putting the and you caught this so the one you caught in early august that was i think the article said five pounds 11 ounces right yes Okay, and you, what kind of pattern did you catch that one on? So that was on uh, like a gurgler style pattern that I started tying up, um, and I'd just been calling it like a mouse gurgler because it it kind of looked mousy. But I was thinking when I made it uh, or when I adapted this fly to my environment, um, you know, it looked like a mouse, but I could you could fish it kind of like a mouse, and you know, mousing is just a you know uh a part of fly fishing culture especially up here you get that trout influence coming in yeah so uh you know i didn't i didn't pluck this from some you know from people who are mousing i just made it and thought this is a mouse and you could you could take this out and catch brown trout with it um but i'm gonna put it on the lake here because i'm i'm watching these fish come up to the surface you know and um that's what you need to do obviously you know that's what a fly fisherman would do <laughs> so now are you are you sliding these things are you are you uh you know you make them slide under the you slide them across the surface slide them under the water so they gurgle are you dead drifting them like how, how what kind of presentation are you putting on them so for for the most part for the most part they just want it sitting still right yeah they just want it sitting still and they'll just run over and grab it and sip it you know they, they just come yep. up and sip it yeah yeah well, i mean it, it, but the thing is, like, I, w- I will say that, you know, you can change, you, you can escalate that retrieve on the spot, you know, and like when you're, because for me, this is a lot of sight fishing, you know, I'm seeing the fish, so um, I, can, I can see how they're reacting, and if they don't want to just come over and eat it, I'll, I'll start with a little a little twitch, you know, and just kind of escalate that to see if I can get them to maybe then react or whatever, you know, and which does work sometimes, but for the most part, they really like it sitting still, you know. Yeah. And that's, uh, and then when they're in like the August, you know, that's like full summer pattern. I mean, obviously they're feeding on the surface. Are they, are they still kind of holding, holding in that like five to seven feet of water, you know, submerged cover type situation or what? So they're, they're not, and I wouldn't say they're holding, um, like in, they're not holding in shallow water necessarily. They're, um, up north here where I live. And I can't I can't speak on this for everywhere smallmouth live, and I really I kind of I kind of doubt it for like the southern reservoirs. I don't because I don't really I don't hear about it, you know. And um and I but I have heard about it from um a couple people in northern areas, you know. And what am I talking about? What am I talking about is um is smallmouth will roam the shallows in summertime, like big smallmouth in the middle of summer. They they're not living there, but they're 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 foraging. Uh, so there are places they'll go and, you know, they'll, they'll pass through during summertime as they look for, uh, you know, crayfish or gobies or, you know, um, you know, bluegills or anything on the surface, you know, they will come to the shallow areas. So that's where I'm, um, you know, meeting up with these fish is in these shallow areas that they like to, to pass through. They're not living there, but they just roll through. Yeah, I and mean, that's why I'm asking because I think oh. I think you're exactly right. I think in the summer, you know, uh, you'll see smallmouth, especially in southern reservoirs and things, move to deeper water. 
you know, they'll hold kind of off of a shelf or, you know, the drop off or something like that. But they're in, generally speaking, a little bit deeper of a position, you know. But up north, I'm assuming because the water temperature stays uh, lower, you know, because uh, they get less sunlight, what, for whatever reason, um, you know, I've heard about this phenomenon too, where people are targeting them on top water. They are kind of roving, you know, roaming around in the shallows and that kind of thing. Mm. So, yeah, it it can be. It's not a. It's not an easy thing. Like, you know, um, you know, you might it might sound like, oh, well, I'm going to go out to this lake and and catch a big smallmouth <laughs> in the shallows, but it's it's really it's not like that. It's it's you're gonna these sometimes I would <clears throat> say these lakes are uh, kind of like a like a desert. You know what I mean? Like it's really just wide open. You know, nothingness for a, for a long for, you know for you know, a long time, but then you'll, you'll see a, a five pounder or something like that, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's not a, it's not a numbers game at all. It's the other way around. It's, it's a low numbers game, but big size. Yeah. It's like a hunting trip. You know, it's, you're hunting them. You're, you're not, you're not fishing really. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. So, uh, so the one that you caught in early August, five pounds, 11 ounces on eight pounds, or I guess, uh, it would have been on six pound line, which is unreal to me. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's so light, you know. But uh, but anyway, so how long did it take after you sent the information to the IGFA for them to say, okay, this one's good to go, certified? So, you know, I think it just depends on. Uh, well, their protocol is a two month waiting period, sixty days. So they they cannot fully approve anything until sixty days after the catch date. So, and that's in case someone catches a bigger one before that and then sends in their application after you, and then they just wouldn't count your application, something like that. So it takes two months to fully approve any record. But, you know, um, I got to know uh, the the line tester there, the, uh, the angler recognition coordinator, Nick Haddad, who's a really great guy. And um, it, it just depends on, on the way he, <laughs> on his workload or the way they're doing things is, you know, depending on that will determine, um, you know, when he actually breaks the line. I think he was interested in my record. So he broke the line pretty soon to let me know that it was going to qualify. So I, I think within a week or so, he, he broke that line and told me it was going to, it was probably going to count. So it sounds like there are multiple bars for entry into this category of, of world record holders, but it sounds like the one that gets a lot of people and probably the one that, that, you know, you would be most concerned about is the line break, right? Yeah. That's, that's what they say is the number one reason for, for um, rejection of applications is the line does not break at the proper strength. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, so you made it through that. uh, And then before you even had your, uh, record certified. Uh, why don't you kind of give us the story about what how the rest of your month went? So I just, I mean, August was, uh, you know, really, uh, and it was kind of intense or something. You know, it was amazing for me. I just I caught a lot of nice fish, but um, you know, I, I caught that first record on August sixth, and um, and sent in the application. I just kept fishing because the fishing was good. And five days later, um, I just had an incredible, another incredible day on the water. And um, a little bit later in the day, you know, um, getting closer to to sunset, I'm kind of, um, you know, I I hooked into a a real giant fish. And and that was the eight pounder. So an eight um, pound, eight pound smallmouth on essentially eight pound tippet. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you another little story within that is, you know, I, um, before I caught that one on August 6th, the one that was 511, I think it was just like five days before that I did um, come across a line that I wanted to buy. I bought it and it arrived while I was out fishing, uh, and caught that 511. So the, so I could have been using a tippet that was actually a little stronger and would have qualified for that record. So I, uh, that happened. I came home and the tippet was, or the line was there. And then I went on, yeah. And then I went online and and I bought the the rest of the line classes and they arrived like the day after I caught the, the eight pounder. So I could have been using a different line, you know, tippet class at that point. So it was just, 
if Amazon would go a little faster, you know. Well, I don't know. It worked yeah. out for you all right. Because <laughs> this eight-pound dish was caught on essentially eight-pound breaking strength line. Yeah. And yeah, I, so don't, I, had, I don't know that anybody is ever going to touch that because that's it takes a lot of uh, a lot of uh, rod tip control takes a lot and just to have the opportunity to hook up with an eight pound smallmouth anyways is pretty unreal but to do it on a fly rod on eight pound line uh pretty unbelievable and was it the you know obviously you know we're not going to get a spot and we don't want it but was it on the same uh lake as the other ones that you've caught or is it a different location or what uh it was uh you know these things happened you know it wasn't all in the same spot you know Okay. But uh but that one was. <laughs> no, that one yeah, it was, you know, and I and I'm and I'm not going to like uh, you know, obviously elaborate anymore, but you know, just when the fishing, you know, if the fishing's good, you're just going to go back to the same the same body of water, you know. Yeah. So no, I, I, that, you I, know, I, that, mean, I don't know if anybody if anybody has a problem with that, I guess they're just completely Yeah. <laughs> I don't right. Know well, what to the fishing was that. good there at that time frame, so that's why, uh, you know, sure. That, you know. So that's yeah, why. that's awesome, man. So 8 pounds, 1 ounce uh, on top water again. Now, when because I'm assuming it's a pretty, you know, as you said, it's a you know sight fishing. So was this a fish that you had seen before, um, or was this your first encounter? Um, I think it was my first encounter. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I you know it's funny because on that lake i i i had a fish break a rod on that lake earlier in the year and uh i don't know what happened and then in the same area i caught that eight pounder so but i i can't say for sure probably not i mean that sounds crazy right but um i did yeah i mean i i did see a fish in the water and i presented my fly to it he just he came over and ate it. actually a couple other fish rejected the fly just before that Huh. So if I would have caught one of those fish, I wouldn't have caught the eight pounder, which is a, kind of a funny thing to think about. But yeah. um, yeah, I saw a couple fish presented. They rejected it, and then I I saw another one presented, and it just came over and ate it. Um, and uh, I didn't know it was that big at the time. I didn't know it was that big until I actually uh, got it in the net. You know, I, I hooked the fish, and it, he he popped out of the water. And I was like, okay, you know, this is a good fish. I'm, you know, I, I hope it's six pounds. You know, that's, that's what I was thinking. And I think, I'm, I'm not sure if internally I was, uh, you know, uh, thinking, uh, well, I just caught this record fish, this other record fish five days before. If this is six pounds, this will break that, that record. You know, I might, I'm not sure if I was thinking that or not. Um, but I know that I was hoping that it was six pounds and, um, and then he took off on a long run. I just, uh, uh, the longest, it, honestly, the longest run that a bass has ever taken, you know, taken me on. And it, it took, I looked out and it was almost all my fly line was actually almost all, you know, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. And he, and then he, um, he jumped out of the air way, way out at, at a distance, which was, which was awesome, you know, and, um, cause he's a big fish and, and then he came back and, um, and came out of the water one more time at the bow. And again, I was like, man, I, I hope this is six pounds. And then I scooped him up. It only took, um, like two to three minutes. It wasn't like a law, like a super long fight or anything. And, um, but then when I got him in the net, I could see how big it was. And I just, uh, <laughs> I knew it was, you know, I knew it was probably in the sevens. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, this is probably in the sevens, you know? And I picked it up and I was just, it felt like it, it, it felt like a different species, you know? Oh, like sure. That's, that's I what it felt fa- like. I can't even fathom you know? it. Yeah. I mean, I've caught, I've caught uh smallmouth just over six pounds and I was like, man, how much bigger can they get? You know I mean? Mm-hmm. It just feels like that's the capacity. So in yeah. pound, I just can't even imagine it. Yeah. It was just, it's, it's a freak, you know? And, um, I weighed it and, um, and it, the scale was, you know, I was weighing the fish in the net, so the scale went beyond nine pounds. And you know, I did the math, you know, real quick. And I just it's kind of like a, you know, in a in a dream world at that point. Like, is this real? You know, like sure. And um, so that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, and obviously you released it back, and uh, you know, maybe next year you'll you'll break your own record. So that's that's pretty <laughs> incredible, man. And uh, so eight pounds. What is that? Your 
I'm assuming that's your personal best. Small. Number. Yeah, it it is. Yeah, and it's got to mm-hmm. be close to like the state record, right? The state record in Michigan is almost ten pounds. It's like nine. It's like nine point nine, nine point nine eight, something like that. Yeah. Well, that might be yeah. that one out of the Indian River, actually. It's just a couple years it ago. is. It, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, I guess, and then you have one more here, but I don't know anything about this because it wasn't in the article. I just know that you maybe or have broken the 12 pound tippet class record, right? Yeah. That. Uh, so in October, uh, October 22nd, I caught a smallmouth uh, weighing. Uh, six pounds, five ounces, and I did that with 12-pound tippet. I had, I had the intention of trying to break that record. Actually, that record was vacant. Um, there's nothing in there. Um, there used to be, uh, yeah, there used to be a, a record there before they made the rule that fish had to be half the weight of the tippet or line class. So there used to be records there, but they retired them when they created that rule. So uh, currently it's vacant, um, but that... Um, and they tested the line. They said it passed. Um, and it sh- the earliest it would have been approved was on the 22nd of December. Um, it is not approved currently, but it's the holidays. So, it, you know, um, sure. but uh, yeah, it what should, a, what a great it should year, go man. through. Unbelievable. Thank you. I mean, uh, and then I'm assuming the one that you caught in October was back on a streamer pattern. Um, yeah, it's on, it's on that same low-fat minnow uh, hack fly that I tie. <laughs> Yeah, that's wild, man. An unbelievable year. Um, you know, that's that's going to be tough to beat, I think, in 2021. But, uh, you know, you've got the resources up there to do it for sure. So uh, pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate the time. Uh, yeah, n- obviously. And then uh, just so everybody can find you, your your Instagram is uh, Tungsten Pilot, right? Yeah, that's that's my Instagram name. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. And are you a pilot? Uh, no, okay. no, I'm not. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It was just like, uh, you know, uh, well, that was had something to do with some of the video work that I was doing, um, as like a part-time thing. Um, yeah. uh, it's just like, you know, Pink Floyd, something like that, you know, Led yeah. Zeppelin. Very cool, man. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking to this man because I was pretty enthralled and I, I can't believe it. Cause I mean, you know, the guys that listen to this podcast religiously, the guys, you know, people like me, myself and Josh, you know, we kind of tend to see this type of stuff when it happens. So uh, the fact that there were like one guy was out there just killing it in 2020, breaking all these records, pretty fascinating to us. So, and, you know, especially, you know, multiple world records on the fly, pretty, pretty, uh, you know, there there are probably only a few thousand of us in the world that would care about it, and uh, we're one of them. So we appreciate you coming on and talking to us about it. So, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, thanks for the time and and thanks for all the kind words and and blowing my head up real big and all that. Uh, it's a lot <laughs> yeah, of fun dude, no, for me. No so. problem. Ah, do so.